When Leonardo da Vinci painted The Last Supper, he captured the moment in the upper room when Jesus turned to his disciples and said, one of you will betray me. With magnificent brushstrokes, the great Renaissance artist visibly displayed the disciples' faces, revealing what he called the motions of the soul. Indeed, emotions make us feel like our inner being is in perpetual motion. The teenager in love feels so-called butterflies in his stomach. Those same butterflies make an actor nervous on the opening night of a play. Are you an emotionally healthy person? Human emotions flow from the heart as the natural way we respond to the world around us. However, the supernatural flow of your emotions depends on the Holy Spirit in you. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. Emotions are not a bad thing in and of themselves, but we get into trouble when we allow our feelings to dictate our behavior. Hello, welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I'm Brian Davis, always glad to have you with us. So what does it look like to be emotionally healthy? The place to start is by looking at the life of Jesus. That's exactly where we're headed next as Ron continues his teaching series, Inside Out, Living and Loving from a Healthy Soul. Stop by somethinggoodradio.org anytime to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, at Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's Ron with today's Something Good radio message, The Emotionally Healthy Jesus. During my recent sabbatical, Catherine and I traveled to some of our favorite places, including a return to Italy, which we had been there a few years earlier to celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. But even as we uh, went there, we came back saying, we, we've got to return. So we used some sabbatical time to do that. We, we returned to some places we had been before, but we also scheduled time at places we hadn't had a chance to visit the first time, including Milan. Milan is a large metropolitan city in, in northern Italy. Of course, Milan is known as one of the uh, fashion capitals of the world. No, I didn't visit any fashion shows or uh, anything like that. Um, but Milan is a place where we, we uh, toured uh, the Duomo, uh, the Duomo di Milano, which is one of the largest cathedrals in Europe. And it is a breathtaking cathedral. We went all the way to the top and, and overlooked uh, the city there. Uh, we also uh, took a day trip to Lake Como, which is about 45 minutes outside of uh, Milan by train. But, but uh, far and away, my, my uh, favorite place to visit in Milan, and one of the reasons we scheduled some time there, uh, was to visit a place called the Senecola. Uh, the Senecola, which is the location of the famous Renaissance mural painted by Leonardo da Vinci called The Last Supper. No, you don't go to Florence to see the Last Supper. You've got to go all the way to the northern part of Italy, to Milan, to capture and take in one of the most uh, renowned and exquisite art history masterpieces the world has ever seen. Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. He was commissioned to paint the wall in the refectory 
or the cenacola, an Italian word which means dining room, and is sometimes used in the Italian language to describe an upper room where people in uh, ancient times ate meals. And uh, he, he painted one end of the dining room at the uh, Covenant of the Santa Maria del Grazi in Milan. And when Leonardo was commissioned to paint this wall, he landed upon a theme that was familiar in Florentine convents and monasteries. He had spent a lot of time in Florence, but now was in Milan, and he brought with him some of that experience of the Renaissance paintings in Florence. And uh, he, he landed upon that scene of Jesus and his disciples sitting at a table during Passover, sharing a last supper just hours before Christ's death upon the cross. Now, the specific moment that Leonardo wanted to capture with his brushstrokes was that time in the upper room when Jesus turned to his disciples and said this, one of you will betray me. <laughs> Leonardo thought that was the moment when an explosive array of human and even contrary emotions flooded the room. And he wanted with his brushstrokes to capture the facial expressions on the disciples' faces and their gestures, all with the idea of visibly displaying what da Vinci called, listen to this, motions of the soul. When I was there in Milan at the Senecola, we got there, we were first in line to get into the museum, which is carefully guarded. Only a few people can go into the space at a time. And I read a little bit of the history. I saw that phrase, motions of the soul. And something about that resonated in me. I thought that was a great way uh, to describe human emotions. Uh, emotions make us feel like our, our inner being is in motion, sometimes in, in, in turmoil. But there's motion going on inside of us. Think of the young uh, teenager who's in love and he's feeling the motions in his inner being, uh, the butterflies in his stomach. Uh, those same butterflies make an actor nervous on the night, the first night of the play. I, I remember a professor in seminary saying, every young preacher uh, feels nervous butterflies, you know, in his stomach, and then he would encourage us to make sure that all of our butterflies were flying in the same formation when we got ready to preach. That was good advice. Emotions can make you feel like you're riding on a roller coaster, up and down and down and up. And we've all felt the motions of the soul. And Leonardo da Vinci captured that moment as best as a, as a brilliant Renaissance artist could. That moment when such emotions that we can hardly imagine filled the upper room in Jerusalem when Jesus turned and said, one of you will betray me. In his excellent book, Emotional Healthy Spirituality, Peter Scazzaro says there are hundreds of emotions, each with their variations, blends, and hundreds of particular nuances. He says researchers have classified them into eight main families. And there in your notes, I've listed, I've listed uh, the eight main families there. And in each of those families, just, just imagine an array of nuances flowing out to the right of each one of them. But the eight main categories include anger and sadness, fear, enjoyment, love, surprise, disgust, even shame. 
Now, from our understanding of the total or holistic human being that we've been talking about, mind, body, heart, and soul, emotions flow from the heart. They flow from the heart as a uh, natural way that we respond to the world around us. I say natural because oftentimes our emotions are not a supernatural response, like we're going to find with the emotionally healthy Jesus, but it's a natural response, even a fleshy response to the world around us. According to Dallas Willard, the heart is the command center uh, from which the heart directs the will, our spirit, and here it is, the emotions. Remember, we've been working with this diagram, uh, mind, body, heart, and soul. The soul is the operating system of our humanity, uh, integrating all of the component parts, kind of working in the background, uh, like the operating system on your laptop computer. But when you get to the heart, you drill a little bit deeper. The heart is the command center. And it's from the heart that the will and the intentions are directed, our spirit, that which animates our bodies, and also uh, these mysterious things called motions of the soul, according to da Vinci. Now, regarding the heart, remember Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23 tells us to guard our hearts because out of it flow the issues of life. We get that now because the emotions flow from there. And as we guard our hearts, we're also guarding our emotions so that our response to the world around us is not natural, it is supernatural, governed by the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our total humanity. Guarding our emotions is important because they can act like a runaway train, can they not? Getting ahead of that which is actually factual. Have you ever found yourself so emotionally charged up about something and later you learned there was no reason for me to fear that? There was no reason for me to worry about that. I, I had fear, I had anxiety, I might have even had sorrow based not on fact but on fiction. And if I had just allowed the facts to guide me. Uh, th this goes along with the old saying that is trustworthy. Emotions are, are great followers but terrible leaders. But they always want to jump out ahead like a runaway train. Now, as untrustworthy as our natural emotions can be, we ignore them to our peril because we are emotional beings. Uh, the total and holistic view of our humanity must include our emotions. And remember, uh, the, the, the psalmist said when he looked at himself, I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. You're beginning now in week four to get a sense of the complexity of our humanity. We're not just material boys and girls living in a material world, as Madonna says. No, we are mind, body, heart, soul, and a heart that deals with, with the will, uh, my want to or not want to, my intentions, my spirit, my emotions. Oh, yeah, I am fearfully and wonderfully made so complex. I don't know that I can get my mind and my, my understanding all around this. God created us, though, with the ability to an express an array of emotions. Now, the truth is not many of us are fully in touch with our emotions, especially men. Now, I'm, I'm generalizing when I say this, but you know, um, women are feelers and men are thinkers. If you look at a man and say, how'd that make you feel? He's gonna go, huh? <laughs> you know, uh, 
And a woman, you can ask her, what do you think and what do you feel? And she gives an intelligent response. You got to ask a guy what he thinks to get an intelligent response out. Because most of us men were like Spock, that Vulcan in Star Trek. Everything must be logical. And we have suppressed our emotions. Still ahead, the second half of today's message with Dr. Ron Jones. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request. And our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore feature that's right at the top of our homepage. Then tell us how we can pray for you. While you're there, visit our digital library where you'll find more than 500 hours of video and audio teaching from Dr. Ron Jones. Search the streaming library by scripture or topic. Again, that web address is somethinggoodradio.org. We don't want our emotions to govern our behaviors, but we shouldn't deny our emotions either. Here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The Emotionally Healthy Jesus. Maybe you grew up in, an, in a time and in an era, guys, where, you know, the, the masculine vision that you were given was real men don't cry. Real men don't express those kinds of emotions. Well, listen, I'm going to introduce you to the most manly man you have ever met, who was a manly man and, in one case, a weeping Messiah at the same time, very much in touch with his emotions and willing to express his emotions. I'm talking about the emotionally healthy Jesus. Peter Scazzaro in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, again hits the nail on the head when he writes, when we deny our pain, losses, and feelings year after year, we become less human, less human. We transfer or transform rather into empty shells with smiley faces painted on them. What a picture there. He goes on to say, the journey of genuine transformation to emotionally healthy spirituality begins with a commitment to allow yourself to feel. It is an essential part of our humanity and unique personhood as men and women created in the image of God. Spot on with that. And part of what salvation and sanctification does is it begins with the saving of our soul, but has the redemption of our holistic humanity in mind. Mind, body, heart, soul, and down into the basement, even the redemption of our emotions. Our emotions, which most of us are a little bit nervous about going into that realm. Now, since the global pandemic, Emotional and mental health has received uh, long overdue attention. Not surprisingly, the draconian lockdowns forced upon us by the government's response to COVID-19 did not turn out well when it comes to the mental health of most Americans. I remember we were one of the first churches that opened up to in-person worship services again, you know, with all of the spacing and the six feet and all that kind of stuff. The Christian Broadcasting Network, which is right down the street from us, caught wind of that and they came and did a story on us and interviewed me afterwards. And I, I remember saying, and I, it's not like I was some expert or had insight that nobody else had, but I just made the comment that I, I don't think these lockdowns are going to be good for us. 
And where I was coming from was we're created for community. God created us that way. He didn't create us for lockdowns. And although you might be doing that government to, to create physical and, and, and bodily health to keep our distance from the virus and all that, you are destroying people's mental health. And we are just now on the cleanup crew with all of that. Experts, mental health experts are cleaning up the mess from this worldwide pandemic. Educators are cleaning it up too. Whoever thought that locking down young kids would be good for them. First it was two weeks, you know, to flatten the curve. Two weeks became two years. And we have a mental health crisis in our world today. And uh, we're doing our best uh, to address it. We cannot live and love from a healthy soul if we are emotionally unhealthy or emotionally immature. We just can't. Question is, what does emotional health look like? Was Jesus emotionally healthy? Did Jesus express his emotions just like any other human being? All good questions to ask as we read through the gospel accounts and pay attention to the emotional responses of the Savior. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. In part, what that tells me is God came from heaven to earth in the person of Jesus Christ to identify with us in every possible way, including down in the basement where most of us don't go, to identify with us emotionally. However, when we, when we look for the emotionally healthy Jesus in the gospel, Jesus never let his emotions run away like a runaway train. Uh, he never sinned when he expressed his emotions, powerful, powerful emotions in some cases. And I believe we can learn much by studying Jesus' emotional response in various situations. And um, I'm going to have to do this real quickly this morning, but I've identified seven uh, times that Jesus expressed or experienced an emotional response in the Gospels. Grab a pen and write these down. Number one, emotionally healthy Jesus expressed righteous anger. I, I'm thinking of the four uh, Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one that records um, a scene in the Gospels where Jesus um, cleansed the temple. Um, I, I love the pictures of uh, the Good Shepherd Jesus, caring for and uh, loving on the little lambs and frolicking in the fields with them. I also love the picture of him picking up a whip of cords and rampaging uh, the temple and overturning the tables of the money changers and saying, you've turned my father's house into a house of merchandise. This house, this should be a house of prayer. Righteous anger. Now, if you read carefully Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account, Matthew, Mark, and Luke put the scene at the end of Jesus' ministry as he's entering Jerusalem uh, just prior to the cross. John puts it at the beginning of his ministry, leading some, and I'm in this category, to believe that he didn't do this just once, he did it twice. <laughs> twice. And if you were a psychologist, 
You know, reading these accounts in the scriptures, you might say Jesus has anger issues. He needs an anger management class. And that would be the wrong diagnosis of the Savior uh, based on a misunderstanding of righteous and divine wrath. We don't like to talk about God's wrath, do we? We want to talk about his love and his compassion and his grace and his mercy. But for a holistic understanding of who God is, you also have to factor in his wrath, okay? Which oftentimes is restrained. But sometimes we get a little glimpse of it. His righteous anger. And we get a glimpse of that with Jesus in the temple. Emotionally healthy Jesus never sinned with his emotions. He did not express anger and sin. Now, we as human beings, we're not God, we're not Jesus, we're being transformed into his image, but I have anger, maybe issues like you do. Sometimes I get a little, you know, worked up. We all do on occasions. And we must remember to heed Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, which says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, resolve your conflict in a timely way, like by the end of the day. And then Ephesians says, and give no opportunity to the devil. Being angry is not sinful. What you do with it, in either words or actions, can be. Let's do our best, with God's help, to follow in the steps of the emotionally healthy Jesus. You're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message is part of Ron's series, Inside Out, Living and Loving from a Healthy Soul. Look for it under the Library tab at somethinggoodradio.org. Well, we have a great resource to share with you today, a book from Dr. Ron Jones called The Jesus Way to Pray, and he joins me now to talk about it. Ron, I'm so excited about the release of your new book, The Jesus Way to Pray, An Intimate Journey Through the Lord's Prayer. What inspired you to write this book? Thanks for the question, Brian. You know, I think all of us, no matter how long we've been following Jesus, can use some help with our prayer life. I know I can, and I'm supposed to be a professional at this, right? I can totally understand why the disciples approach Jesus and uh, ask him to teach them how to pray. Fortunately, the model prayer Jesus gave his disciples is recorded for us in the pages of Scripture and preserved for nearly 2,000 years. It's known worldwide as the Lord's Prayer. I call it the Jesus way to pray. Ron, you say in the introduction to the book, nobody is in a better position to teach us how to pray than Jesus. What do you mean by that? Well, Brian, to say, Lord, teach us to pray, as Jesus' disciples did, it's kind of like asking Michael Jordan or LeBron James to teach us how to play the game of basketball, or Leonardo da Vinci to teach us how to paint a masterpiece like The Last Supper or The Mona Lisa, or Michelangelo to teach us how to sculpt a marble stone into David or the Pieta. Now, truly, nobody is in a better position to teach us how to pray than Jesus. 
Thanks so much for sharing this important resource with us, Pastor. Again, that book is called The Jesus Way to Pray, An Intimate Journey Through the Lord's Prayer. Order your copy for a donation of $25 or more. Share it with a friend by requesting a two-pack for $50, a four-pack for $75, or an eight-pack for $150 or more. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or over the phone by calling our offices at 757-276-1099 or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. I remember years ago, I heard an evangelist preach a powerful sermon titled, Where Are the Tears? And he wept uncontrollable tears over lost people who had rejected the free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Real and genuine tears, a heartfelt sorrow over that. And then ask a congregation of believers in Jesus Christ, where are the tears? Where is the sorrow over lost people? That's a good question for us to ask ourselves. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The Emotionally Healthy Jesus. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.